The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and the lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is a marketer with an interesting and non-traditional background that is now a consultant in the SEO world. Garrett Merguth is the CEO of Directive Consulting, which is a B2B and enterprise search marketing agency that companies trust to scale their business. Directive supports customers with SEO, PPC, content marketing, and social media driven by powerful analytics and a dedicated team of specialists. Prior to his career running a thriving consulting practice, Garrett held a wide variety of jobs ranging from working as a digital assistant to a janitor. Okay, here's our conversation with CEO of Directive Consulting, Garrett Merguth. Garrett, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me, Ben. Glad to be here. Excited to connect with you again. We've had a similar conversation on another podcast I host over on the Voices of Search podcast, and I was taken back by your story and your non-traditional path. And, you know, excited to talk to the MarTech community about your experience. First and foremost, you recently had a baby. And the first time we chatted, I think your child was two days old. Was it two days? One or two days. Yeah, pretty new. One or two days old. And you were in the office and being a podcast guest, you're two and a half weeks in. Are you going to make it through the podcast? Have you been sleeping? No, I'm great. My wife is super supportive. She's really talented in those areas. And on that one, I took an hour out of the day to hop on a podcast. And then she can only deal with me for so long. So it's always, I think, nice for her to get me out of there. So when I come home, it's also nice. So it's always a little balance. Well, in the off chance that Mrs. Merguth is listening to this podcast when it is published, let me just go on the record of saying you're a wonderful person. You're a machine. You can do this. And thank you for letting Garrett join us. So Garrett, let's talk a little bit about you now. Why don't you walk people through how you got started in marketing in the early part of your career? Yeah. So I started off working at the biggest agency ever. No, (laughs) I started trying to really just be entrepreneurial with no real skills. I don't necessarily recommend it. I learned pretty quickly that you can't just say you're a consultant. You should probably be a consultant at something that you are uniquely better than the rest of the market at. Uh, It's usually easier to charge for that. So when I first started, I wanted to actually be a management consultant. So applied to Bain, Boston, McKinsey, Deloitte, and a bunch of other consulting firms. And I thought, hell yeah, like these guys are going to be stoked to have me. Not the case. 
What I learned is those universities, when you go through their application, they aren't really looking for people from Azusa Pacific University. In fact, in their employment portal, I wasn't even able to find Azusa Pacific University. So I applied under other, which triggered an auto response, essentially saying that they're all good right now. So talk to me about how you ended up at Azusa Pacific and what type of school is that? Yeah, so Azusa Pacific University, a Christian school, biggest one on the West Coast. And so I figured, okay, if I want to go to evangelical school, but I also want to, like I had D1 offers to play soccer. I was captain of a soccer team at Azusa like my last year. And I was trying to play pro. That was kind of my bigger vision at that time. And I was working really hard towards that. I hurt my knee. But I chose Azusa because they had won the national championship the last couple of years. They had a really strong team. They were sending guys to the Seattle Sounders and other pro teams. So I thought, okay, this fits with my path. It's aligned with me on a belief system. And I wasn't actually really, I didn't really care about the school part that much. Like I just figured every degree is the same. Not the case. So going through school, you were first and foremost an athlete and you were interested in pursuing a career in professional sports. Uh, you wanted to be a soccer player. And Azusa was a Christian university, so there was a faith component that went to this. Were you studying marketing? Were you studying business? No, I never took a marketing class. I did econ. So up to college, to a certain extent, I was homeschooled. So I was taking, but I took college classes when I was like 14, 15. So when I 16, 17, like all the way kind of through, I took all my remedial classes or my gen eds essentially at the junior college. So I graduated from Azusa Pacific in three years. And I did my master's in one year, my fourth year. I was working like three jobs, captain on the soccer team. And so that was kind of like how I did it. For me, everything in life has been simple as long as I didn't make it complicated. Like school, I just decided I was going to study two hours every day, whether I had two hours or not do that day. And then eventually, if you just be consistent, school's really easy because you're always ahead and you just hit your two-hour window and you'd be amazing. I never did one all-nighter. I never stressed about an assignment. I never worried about it. I just did two hours every day. The same thing goes in marketing and everything in life. Like the barrier to success is so stinking low and it's all based on consistency and self-control. You bring up an interesting point here because you're early in your career, right? You're not even graduating from college and you're already the captain of your soccer team. You're working your way through college. You have taken college courses when you were younger. You've got a master's degree. So you're managing multiple different problems and projects all at once, right? You have your attention being grabbed multiple different directions. And yet you're simplifying this down to be like, oh, no big deal. I got two hours to go study. There's a simplification there that I think most people struggle with of, oh, I'm just going to carve two hours out of my day to study. Well, you know, for a lot of people, they need more than two hours of time. I just don't know if it's necessarily that simple for everything. Explain to me your ability to be able to multitask and to be able to manage those different distractions or pulls on your attention and still be a great soccer player, an effective student, and be able to be successful at work. Well, I think in all fairness, I got some gifts that help. I think we all have gifts. I try to leverage mine and stay really focused into the areas I'm successful at. So like I create little systems and models and everything I do is based on not getting myself overwhelmed. The second I'm overwhelmed, I don't think rationally and I'm not effective at anything I'm doing, whether it's a relationship, interpersonally, professionally. So I try to always prepare if I have a tough conversation that day, I'll envision that conversation in the morning in the shower. Like I have routines in my life that I've kept consistent since I was like 14, 15 years old. 
Like I've been going to a coffee shop every day since I was like 14 or 15 years old and using that time to be my time to get the things I needed to get done, done. So when I wrote in this company, like I still have that time between nine and 11, every single solitary day, that's mine. I have a time at seven to eight, that's mine. I have a time at 11 to 12.30, that's mine. And I stop at three and I continue later on. And then I let people schedule anything they want in between those times. But I put first and foremost what I need to be effective first and never, ever sacrifice that. If someone's like, can you meet at lunch? I'll say, no, I don't care how big of a deal it is. I don't care how important it is. I try to never sacrifice the consistency. And then that allows me to deal with all the other instability of life because I have these foundational elements of my day that are consistent regardless of the storm. Okay. So you've created a system for yourself and you're prioritizing your personal needs first and foremost, and then you're letting all the other parts of your schedule fall into place as they may. And that's helped you keep things in track and allow you to focus. Talk to me about the early part of your career. As you graduated from Azusa Pacific, you mentioned you wanted to go into management consulting and you had some struggles getting into a consulting role. So what did you do? One of my value systems I kind of believe in and live up by is perception is reality. So I just asked myself, how do people with money or influence or power perceive me as a 22 year old man? And I realized that most of the people with influence, power, money were probably over 40 years old. And they frankly didn't grow up with the internet. They didn't understand the internet, but they also recognized the importance of the internet. And they assumed I did. First off, I did not, but I figured they assumed I did. So instead of trying to like be something that people want to assume I'm good at, like people don't assume when you're young that you're a good engineer. People when you're young, maybe software engineer, yeah, but not electrical engineer. People don't assume a lot of different career paths when you're young that you could do and be successful at. So I chose the one where I didn't perceive age being an issue to my earning potential. So I decided to get really good at it. And I just read everything that had been published on this subject. And that's it. I just had a little motto called learn, engage, create. So if I could learn something new every day and engage with it by leaving a comment, reaching out to the person who wrote it, or putting it on a site that I wanted to manage or use by testing it, I could create more value for myself or for my customers. And so I just kept it simple like that. So you create a system and you're you're really basically you're a self-starter, right? You're going and you're saying, hey, I'm going to learn the internet and I'm going to figure out how to, did you start off with SEO? Was it organic growth? I mean, I started off on Fiverr. So I figured I was making $8 an hour doing janitorial and event work, just minimum wage, part-time for the university. At one point I was making pizzas in the back of the calf. You know, I was just hustling. And I figured if I could do like deliver $5 goods and I could deliver 10 of them in an hour, I could make 50 bucks an hour. So I figured, okay, like that's a lot more than I'm making right now. I got no pride issue. So I'll just go figure out how Fiverr works. And so like I would sell a social media calendar. I would go on every YouTube video on the internet related to social media. And then I would comment, Hey, don't want to have to do this yourself. Pay me five bucks. It's pretty simple like strategy. And then all of a sudden, you got a lot of direct traffic on your listing. Then I figured out how to fill out the descriptions. I figured out how to rank on the homepage. I figured out how to make a video that at least was engaging. There's a low barrier to entry because there's not a lot of white Americans that are willing to work for $5. So a lot of you are just competing with outsourced professionals, even though the majority of the traffic's in the US. So when you have a kid in the US who puts MBA in their title and they're like, oh, I can get an MBA to do this for five bucks. It's a lot easier. So I just leveraged the benefits I had and just kept it simple. And next thing you know, I was making over a thousand dollars a month on Fiverr working, you know, less than an hour a day, which is a lot to a kid, you know? 
Yeah, right. So you start an ad hoc consulting business using the Fiverr platform. Yes. And then I was doing independent consulting for two other guys on top of my master's soccer and then my like three other minimum wage jobs. I was working like five, six jobs. Yeah. So you're you're piecing it together between, you know, the work that you have at school. You're making twelve thousand dollars a year on the side doing odd tasks for Fiverr. You're starting to learn a little bit about the internet. You apply to be a consultant at Bain and nobody gets back to you. And somehow you connect the dots to being a professional marketing consultant now. So help fill in the story. How did you get from Fiverr to running directive consulting? So I uh, went home. My parents lived like an hour away. So I got a ride home one time because I had a moped, like a 1978 Peugeot, little 103 SP. I actually still have it down the front uh, entryway of the office, which is kind of fun. I think it's important when people join the company, you know, kind of how humbly it started. Because I think it's important to have a humble spirit. And I was just printing out a bunch of flyers that essentially said like, I'll help you with your marketing. I didn't have any real skills. So uh, eventually like a Mediterranean food place that I would go to, they would do like chicken shawarma kind of in a really like class Z strip mall in East LA. <laughs> class Z strip mall. I love it. Okay. Go yeah. on. So I have the blessing of a class A building now, but back in the day I was serving class Z buildings. And so I was just helping them out. I handed out flyers for him. I built his Facebook page, his Yelp page on the 30th day. I came in and asked for the check. He said, come back tomorrow. Came back tomorrow. Whole place was boarded up. That was my first ever customer. So here's the funny thing for everyone who's listening to this podcast, Garrett and I have had this conversation before. And at this point in the conversation, I was sitting around being like, oh, shit, this guy has no experience. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He was doing odd jobs. He was doing janitorial. He was on Fiverr. He's working for a Mediterranean place. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. I'm going to cut to the end and then we're going to work our way back. Tell me where you rank for SEO consulting. SEO consulting, I'm not sure, but SEO agency, we rank number one. I figured SEO consulting is good, but a lot of times we're not technically in a consultant. So I didn't want to mismatch someone's expectations in their search intent with what our product deliverable was. 
So yeah, we go after SEO agency. Maybe I buried the lead here a little bit, but Gareth ranks number one in the world for SEO agency. His company is 65 people. It's a thriving company that works with brands that are making hundreds of millions of dollars. So he's managing a portfolio of business that generates more than a billion dollars of revenue. (laughs) And at this point in the conversation, I was sitting here being like, what in the hell is this kid talking about? And for the record, we're just about the same age. But you went from working janitorial jobs and running Fiverr and like you're in a strip mall working for a Mediterranean restaurant and you don't know anything about the internet. And then all of a sudden you're one of the world's biggest experts in SEO. You're holding up something that I cannot read. Yeah, what am I looking at? This is the first contract from 2013. It's got the grease stains and everything. And this is the guy who he just shut down his doors and never paid me. For those people that are listening, he's actually holding up the contract with like greasy thumb stains and it's in a nice black and white frame. And that was his first contract. How did you get from, you know, the Class Z strip mall to running an incredibly successful SEO agency? So here's a little story of kind of how we did it. At first, I knew I couldn't do it myself and I had no intention of being small. So from the moment I started, I wanted to be the best and the biggest. No other intention. I wasn't going to let anything else stop me. So even if a guy doesn't want to pay me, it's like, fine, I'll be successful. I don't need you to be successful. I can be successful through my own work ethic, commitment, and then leadership skills with men and women and positioning and all the other parts of marketing. So I went to my best friend, best friend since freshman year of high school, roommates all through college. He was planning on going to law school. I said, don't do that. Come work with me. His dad was a plumber. My dad's a carpenter. My parents were missionaries. You know, I grew up on $40,000 a year in Southern California in Orange County. So I grew up pretty humbly on my own since I was 18 years old. I've lived outside the house, just taking care of myself and trying to work hard and do the best. And so brought him on, trusted him a lot. He knew nothing. I don't really care what people know. I care about their character and their commitment. Taught him everything I knew, which wasn't much at the time, but it was more I found, look, in every space, the ability to be better than everyone else is so low, it should scare you. Like I decided just now I want to be good at golf. I was able to take 30 strokes off my game in 10 months because all I did was practice for 30 minutes a day. My point being here is people aren't willing to practice 30 minutes a day. In your industry, I'm telling you right now, if you read one book a month, you would already read 12 times more than anyone else in your industry a year. And my point being here is the little things, we watch three hours of television every night, but we can't take 15 minutes to follow the right people on Twitter or read the right article. I myself struggle with this. That little 15, 30 minutes of consistency compounded makes you a subject matter expert in any field in the world. I guarantee it, number one. And so for me, I figured... Our industry in marketing is so lovely. Everybody shares everything. There is no barrier to entry. I had a laptop, $20, and my best friend. And from there, we just went to all the people we knew through any network we had access to, whether it's professors at school, family, friends, right? Our families weren't wealthy. So we knew other people who weren't wealthy. So like our families, you know, had two employees, three employees. We knew other businesses with two employees, three employees. I was doing $200 a month. And I tried to turn them all into case studies. And from $200 a month, I got to $400 a month. Then one day I'm riding into Uber with some guy who knows nothing about SEO, but he's talking about SEO. So I asked him some questions, asked him how much he charges. He says, $2,000. I'm shell-shocked. I'm like, this bozo knows nothing. And he's charging five times more than me. What do I know? I'm the real bozo. Like this guy, he figured it out. So we raised our rates. And from there, we just learned, if you can try to turn every client into a case study and treat them with honor and respect, you can be really, really successful. You just have to actually have standards in this world. There's not a lot of people that have a standard and say, this is good or this is bad. There's a lot of gray in the world and not enough black and white. And if you can keep things black and white, 
and honest, transparent, and real, there's no reason why you can't be hyper successful. You just have to have self-control. So we started at those accounts. We got to the 2000s. We want to do local. Somehow we got the Allstate account when I was like 24 years old. We were doing the SEO for every Allstate agent in the country. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. You just drop that in like, oh, we just landed the Allstate account. No big deal. Garrett, it's Allstate. I'm 24 years old. We're you know working and we're taking $200 accounts. And oh, by the way, we land the Allstate account. Again, mind blown. <laughs> How does that work? Well, I was attending all the conferences in the industry just to learn. I didn't know much. I wanted to be better. So then I started talking to people at all the conferences and they thought I was a genius. And I, didn't, I was like, I don't know anything. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I do know something. And so once again, that's where I realized that the fact that I had been reading all these content and writing all this content, I was already in the 1% of my industry by just reading every day and creating content. And that's where I keep saying the barrier to entry is so low. And so then I started building relationships with influential people in the industry. And I met a man named David Mim and he made us Moz Local Recommended. So if you search local SEO agencies, local SEO companies, this list ranks really well. And it's a vetted industry trusted list. He put us on there. He's like, I like you. I trust you. He put me on this list at 24 years old. And then Allstate found us on the list. They talked to five other vendors and we just beat them. Amazing. Okay. So you land the Allstate account and now you have legitimacy, right? Like I'm sure that you had some other clients before Allstate that were larger than, you know, 200 bucks a day, more than your Fiverr business. But now you're talking about a well-branded, well, Allstate, $100 million, billion dollar industry, something gigantic. Yeah, they're a really good company. So we thought, you know, let's go into local SEO. Let's be the best in local. Problem is, is local has a really low average order value. Most people in local are small businesses who can't even monetize enterprise consulting because they don't have enterprise margins or enterprise funding or enterprise market share or even markets they're targeting. So I thought, okay, that doesn't really work. And so from local, we went to just normal. And normal means nothing. It means you stand for nothing. You want to work with everybody because you don't have the gall to say no to somebody. The AFM part of your business, anything for money. Yeah, it was anything for money. I don't blame you. I was trying to make sure I could put food on the table for my family and for everybody else's families. And then we got into B2B. And we thought, you know what? I read a little book. I forget what it was called. But it was a basic book on branding. And it was like, don't be everybody else. Find a market that you enjoy, that you're making the majority of your revenue on, with the customers that you have the best retention on, best results for, and just get good at that. I was like, okay. Got off the plane, called my guys. I'm like, we're going to be B2B. They're like, you're crazy. I said, okay. Went B2B, lost all our leads for a while, and just kind of stuck it out. And yeah, now I think we're probably the biggest B2B search agency out there, at least one of them. And now, you know, we're doing more enterprise. So I'm not sure. Maybe one day we'll go strictly enterprise search marketing instead of just B2B and we can work. Like, I want to work on an airline. I feel like an airline would be a fun challenge. Like, go get American Airlines or somebody like that. Well, you're going to stretch out a B2B if you're doing an airline, but... Yeah, see, I don't know how big their B2B unit is. Like, I would have to do mostly corporate travel stuff for them. And then it's going to be a microcosm of a budget compared to their overall. And I'd rather get the big one. I think it'd be more fun, more challenging. I think my team's ready for it. I think we can deliver on it. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way my brain works is just, you know, if you decide you're going to take market share, go be the best at it. Come up with a different deliverable, not a better deliverable. Like nobody wants better. And like, look at Amazon Basics. Amazon Basics goes out, they find all the industries with the best margin that are fully commoditized and they launch a little slightly cheaper product because everybody else has to pay Amazon back their margin. So Amazon just takes the market share. And that's the thing, like you could be a search agency and you're practically an Amazon Basics firm. Like you're just ready for anyone to come in and your purchase price is so commoditized and your margins are so stuck that it's just going to have diminishing marginal returns as you try to grow the business. So for me, I always try to swim upstream. And when I say that, I mean, 
going after a bigger account that has a larger willingness to pay because they have more value they can create off the money they pay you. And once you start to understand that in professional services, you can grow through quality, not quantity. And that maintains your gross profit, allows you to have money left over to acquire new accounts, give raises, develop talent, differentiate, and go. There's risk there though, right? Like I get what you're saying. You got to differentiate. You want to go up market. The people that you're going to work with, they're going to be able to implement your recommendations better because they have capital and resources and they're investing a lot in you. So they better damn well pay attention. But there's risk, right? There's a lot of people going after those relationships and a lot of people with experience and background and credibility. And that's the thing that's the most interesting to me about your experience. Not to say that you don't have an amazing background or credibility. I don't have those things necessarily starting, so I had to build them. Well, you do. You've built them. You do have them. Yeah, now I do. Yeah, when I started, that's why I published for everybody. I sent an email out. I got featured on Moz Local's newsletter, took a screenshot, sent that to everybody. Now I've published for every publication in the industry and I've been on every podcast, but I hustled that because I knew I was too young. Nobody cares. The people just hire me for expertise. They're not hiring me because they want to hang out with me or because I'm related to them. They hire us because we're sharper. We care more and we need it more than anyone else. And I'm totally transparent about it. Like I have no intention of being average. And if you want to work with an average agency, we're not a fit. We're not going to charge you to be average. We're going to charge you to be great. And I have no other intention being, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be anything other than great. I think that's one of the things that is interesting me in the second time we've had this conversation, first time for the MarTech podcast. But the thing that sticks out to me is like, as we're having this conversation, there's something missing in the best possible way that like, I have fear or I am out of my weight class or I need to work my way up into the level of credibility. Like you're talking about, well, I'm going to go after an airline. And there are agencies that are bigger with more experience and better brands and credibility than you. And I have no doubt you will land an airline. Well, yeah, we can beat them because they're not going to fly out there. They're not going to spend 20 hours on the proposal till it's perfect. They're not going to do it, by the way, in one day and book the whole flights and show out there. They're not going to take them out to lunch, to dinner. They're not going to do, I'll do anything to get my dreams. And in a way that doesn't marginalize people's humanity, but honors it. And when you do it in that way, it draws people to you. People want to work with you. People want to partner with you because they realize that you're real in a different kind of way than they're used to. They're used to the bullshit, the guy who thinks he's all that, who's not. It's all about being real. Like I live in a one bedroom apartment. I don't ball out. I save all my money. I don't work crazy hours. I work eight hours a day. Sometimes I work 10, 12 hours because I need to, but I try to go home with my family. But in the moments I'm here, I'm never content because I don't want to be good. I think good is the worst thing in the world. I just want to be great. And so when I'm looking at things, I'm trying to ask myself, why am I not great? I need to listen better. Okay. How do you keep working on your listening? Like, how do you focus on it? how do you be the last one to talk in the room? I just try to be hyper self-aware of all my own flaws, communicate those honestly and transparently to others, and then love on them as deeply and as passionately as possible through holding them accountable to how great they can be. And when you do that, I mean, it's really hard to be beaten. I need you to brag a little bit. And I don't think that's necessarily something you do well. Tell me about how big and successful your agency is. I don't know. Like we started with 20 bucks about five years ago. We probably do seven or 10 million in recurring revenue this year. The booth software, I think I'd probably be at like 50 or 70. So you got a seven or eight figure business. You're five years in. How many people are in the company? About 60 or so. It's the hard part about professional services. And that's why you got to keep swimming upstream is because you got to go work with those accounts that have the margins because I learned the hard way. You don't want to grow through quantity of accounts. 
I mean, on trend to be way bigger than this, but I didn't like our work products and I'm obsessed with the quality of our work. So I now say no to the velocity of our growth. And we're like replacing smaller accounts now. Instead of trying to grow, we're trying to get ourselves to a healthy point with our margins so that we can hire the right talent and then go after the right accounts so that we can grow the revenue in a real way. Like small business is the cocaine of illogical growth. It's so easy to generate small business type contracts, but you cannot have a world-class product and a small business deliverable inherently in professional services. Now you can in software and other places because it can be productized, but a world-class professional service is customized to someone's unique needs. And even if you think you're the greatest in the world with systems or process and other types of pieces and checklists and everything, it doesn't make sense to do it that way because you're, you're just better than the other people at that price point. You're not the best. You're just better than what they could get for that price. It's like being a Honda Civic and competing with a Camry. Like I'd rather be Tesla and change the entire industry and build something that's differentiated and truly great and special not something that's just better than the other people at that price point. And you can, I guess I couldn't sleep at night. Like I got to that point where I didn't love what we were doing because we were growing so fast and it was too hard to do the right type of work product. So I just said, forget it. Like we're just going to double our rates and immediately shut down our growth. And even if we have to make hard decisions, downsize, whatever that is, it's the way we're going to be great. So I just never try to lose sight of what I'm building and why, you know? I'm not sure who the comparison is but I'm trying to figure out if I think that you are the next blank. And the names that come up to my mind are Elon Musk, Richard Branson, innovators and successful business people that have an approach and a mindset that is unflappable and unstoppable. I hope. I don't think professional service is always the best place to be in that. And so one day I think I'll do product or software or something that can scale. So like right now, you know, you get a big enterprise account, you have to then hire a big enterprise team or already have a big enterprise team available. So it's like one-to-one in headcount, which isn't great. You know, there's other ways to do it, which I think I'll learn more about. I just kind of fell into this and tried to be the best I could at the thing I was at today. And then as the markets change and things dictate, I'm sure I'll be ready for whatever's next for me. And that's the way I look at it is this here, I try to do the best I can be every day. So I'm ready for whatever's next. Garrett, it's an amazing story. I'm even happy to hear it the second time. I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling everybody about your experiences. And I still don't quite understand how you went from janitorial services and Fiverr to running a $10 million consulting practice with 20 bucks in your pocket and a laptop and your best buddy. But let me just tell you, I'm impressed as hell that you did it. Well, thanks, Ben. Yeah, it's all those guys, man. They're they're really, really good at their job. So it makes a lot easier on me. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I think you had something to do with it. And I appreciate you being our guest. Of course. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Garrett Merguth, the CEO of Directive Consulting for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Garrett, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is gmerguth, and I'll spell that out, G-M-E-H-R-G-U-T-H. Or you could visit his company's website, which is directiveconsulting.com. A couple of links in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you're listening to this podcast, just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of our episodes and contact information for our guests.
If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and the contact information for our guests. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com slash newsletter. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.